we have uh, <clears throat> been, I've been working through the uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, this uh, hymn, this carol that we sing around Christmas. And, uh, you know, some of you uh, haven't got really deep into the details of this hymn, but just uh, kind of used each verse to maybe inspire a little bit uh, the message for each week. And, and so this week, I, uh, I'm on uh, verse 3, and just want to kind of we'll read this uh, verse, and familiar to all of you, I'm sure, and we will actually sing it after my message this morning, but I uh, just wanted to read it for you and then kind of enlighten you of where I'm headed and why I'm headed that way, but here we go. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the son of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald the angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Amen. The, the, the third stanza of this verse is what kind of caught my attention, and I wanted to zero in on that. Light and life to all he brings. And the, the reality is, is Jesus is light. Uh, Isaiah 9, 2, we, we, we say and read this passage most Christmases probably, and maybe we've heard it many times, and we may haven't thought too much about this particular verse. Isaiah 9, 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, we can sometimes maybe look at this in a very literal sense and just see simply that you know, Jesus is this shining light and that the world is darkness without Jesus and that Jesus coming into the world brought this like new light. But I think it's not too far of a stretch to recognize that this Light in this darkness is symbolic of, first of all, the darkness being that of an, un, an inability to understand and know the truth, to know what's real, to be stuck in our sin, to, to not be able to get out of it and not to be able to see anything beyond that sin. And then Jesus shows up, the light of the world not so much a physical presence, but more of a physical light presence, but more of a revealing of what is real and what is true. Jesus brings with him truth. Truth is important. We, we, we can oftentimes, you know, especially in our culture today, truth has become very confusing. What is real, what is not what are the facts? What aren't the facts, right? We, we have a culture, you know, since postmodernism showed up, right? It's like all of a sudden truth has kind of gotten a little bit loosey-goosey. What is really true? But I think truth is really important. Knowing the truth is essential to our living and, and existing in this world. Uh, example of, uh, out of my own life, uh, little story that I think I've told to some of you before, but if you haven't heard it, it's a fun one. So, and the fun part about it is it's a bit embarrassing for me, so thank you very much, right? Yeah. Um, 
So as a kid, I grew up in this family that I love dearly, and they, they are an amazing family and amazing parents and uh, an evil sister, and just like every evil sister should be. Um, but uh, also I grew up with a dad who just has got this kind of wicked sarcasm, humor kind of thing to him, right? And our family uh, just uh, cannot resist exploiting weaknesses, um, in a funny way, though, not, never in a harmful way, but, well, maybe sometimes it hurts, but not too bad. Uh, <laughs> this one hurts a little bit, but not too bad. Anyway, uh, so I was a kid, and I was very, as a kid, very gullible. So I would believe kind of anything that my dad said especially. Uh, and so uh, he took advantage of this weakness uh, that impacted my life, actually, for very, uh, several years. Um, but when I was about uh, eight, between eight and ten, somewhere in there, see, my dad also liked to take my sister and I uh, on these hiking trips. And so we'd hike over a pass, or we'd, and like literally, I mean, we have backpacks. I'm, you know, I'm eight years old, and I get a 35, 40-pound pack on, and we're hiking up, right, you know? And he says, oh, that's not enough, son, here's some more, you know? Anyway, toughening me up, whatever. But so one year we go, uh, one summer we go up to this particular lake, uh, Big Heart Lake, and we're, we're at the lake and we're going to stay there for like three days. So it's a tough hike up, but once we get there, we're like, you know, two or three nights, we're just going to hang out there and enjoy this lake and all of that. And lots of fun stories from this trip. But uh, it's about the second night in after we're up there at this lake, uh, we're getting ready to cook dinner. And my dad just kind of out of the blue just kind of says, hey, uh, hey, Sean, uh, uh, we need to find some wild potatoes. And I'm like, wild potatoes? What are you talking about, Dad? I mean, wild potatoes? Oh, yeah, no, no, it's on their real thing. Uh, they, they usually grow, like, under old logs that have fallen and stuff, and you can find them out there. You just got to go dig around. You know, I bet you there's got to be some, some wild potatoes around here. We need some potatoes to go with this fish we're going to have for dinner. And I'm like, really, Dad? And like, yeah, yeah. Like, All right, cool. So I run out there, right, and I start digging around and looking, and my sister's kind of with me, and she's like, oh, yeah, look over here, look over there, look over there. So we're kind of looking, and finally I get to this log, and I'm digging, sure enough, oh, my gosh, wild potatoes, there they are. So I grab these wild potatoes, and I bring them in, and I'm back to dinner, back to the fire. I'm like, Dad, look, I found some. And he's all excited. Yay, son, good job. I knew we could find out we're going to have this great dinner. Well, obviously, as many of you already recognize, that Wild potatoes are not real. Um, and uh, uh, my sister was in on this. And so while my dad was setting up this whole picture, she was out burying the potatoes. <laughs> and uh, so now the problem with this, I mean, that's just a fun little joke. But if they would have just kind of let it go. But no, 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 no. Okay, eight, nine-year-old, ten-year-old gullible Sean now believes this is real. So much so that uh, when his science teacher was telling him, no, 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 there are no wild potatoes, I was like, yes, there are. I dug them up. I saw them. They're real. My dad said they're real, right? I mean, I was fighting with my science teacher. And, uh, you know, the, 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 probably the most embarrassing part about this is that uh, my, my family, my dad, my sister found such great joy in finally revealing to me that wild potatoes were not real on the night before I got married. So for 10-ish, 12-ish years, I believed wild potatoes were a real thing. Uh, but anyway, the point is, uh, the story is that what we believe, right, we're we going to live that out. We're going to defend that. And there were many times that I was out on the trail other times, and I would go and look 
for potatoes, right? For wild potatoes because I had done it once, I'd seen them. And my dad would say, he would just laugh. He wouldn't say anything to me, but he was just chuckling, right? My sister, the same thing. And I never got it, never realized what was going on. But it impacts, the truth impacts how we live it out. I mean, to the point that we're going to, I'm going to argue with a science teacher who obviously should know better than I do. We, our understanding of truth impacts how we live. You know, how, how we're going to live out our day-to-day life, whether, we're, you know, how, what, what's going to be important, how we're going to interact and function with people and, and those relationships we're going to build. But yet we have a culture that is struggling with trying to communicate what is truth. Matter of fact, there are almost many of them are purposely confusing the matter. It, it's hard for us to figure out what is true and what's not. I mean, even just take the political system that we're, or issue we're in right now with this impeachment. I mean, what is true? Is it, did it really break a law or not? Did it, is it really worth impeachment or not? And depending on who you talk to, you get these facts that aren't facts. They're just their opinion of the facts. And so it's so hard for us to understand truth. But not just in the kind of the everyday stuff that's going on. We have a world that is deceiving us in regards to the core perspectives on life. Why we're even here? What, what is life even about? What, what is all of this, you know, is this, what, what's happening here? But we have Jesus, who shows up a couple of thousand years ago and reveals truth to us. He shows us what is real. John 1, 5 says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, the, the, the truth cannot be overcome. doesn't matter what we believe. doesn't matter whether, you know, I mean, it, it, that has nothing to do with it. The truth is above our beliefs or our perceptions of what is real and what's not. We have Jesus who has shown up to reveal to us what is truth. And the first thing that he reveals is about who God is and the fact that God is real. You see, in the Old Testament, all they really had to go on were their like personal kind of experiences, and even those weren't like super personal. They were more corporate experiences of where God shows up every once in a while in some supernatural way to show, hey, look, there's something else going on here other than just your physical world and what you guys are experiencing, what you're doing. Right? I mean, it's just, you know, Moses, like all of these things that happen. I mean, for 400 years, they're slaves. There's no report of anything miraculous going on or supernatural going on, and they're still worshiping this God, but it seems like there's, you know, I mean, is he even there, right? And crying out to him for help. And then all of a sudden, Moses shows up, and then God begins to reveal himself, right, in these different miracles and the things bringing them out of Egypt and the crossing the Red Sea. But it was all this kind of this corporate, non-personal, and non-physical realities of God. I mean, it was always through someone, right? Like Moses, right? Or, or Abraham, or these different things that we'd see. And so they're like, is this God real? I mean, there's evidence of it. But when Jesus shows up, all of a sudden, all of the theory of the Old Testament is faced with the proof the physical reality proof that God is real in Jesus, right? God has come. He's here. He lived among us. 
These are the realities. These are the truths that Jesus brings. It gave us a concrete, physical understanding of this God. That he wasn't just something that was a theory. He wasn't just something that was uh, totally separate from us. But he was actually among us. He was with us. Jesus reveals truth not just about God. But he also reveals truth about who we are. In three key areas, the first of which is life itself. And the fact that the truth is that Jesus reveals that life life is valuable and has purpose. See, we have a culture right now that tells us that we are a cosmic accident. Right? The culture's telling us that, you know, it's just all this kind of mumbo-jumbo about how these, you know, these different cells and things somehow came together and created this complexity of life that we have today. And it's no wonder that we have a, 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 an increase in, those, in suicides, increase in things like school shootings and horrible things that we're doing to each other. It's no wonder that those things are increasing. Once we take the value out of humanity, once we just say, oh, they're just an animal, then is it any wonder that we're treating each other like animals? It's amazing to look around and see the way that our culture is promoting this lie. You see it evidenced in the fact that we're, many of us are protecting nature more than we're protecting human life. Some believe that we need less humans on this earth because the humans are destroying it all. Again, that's a perspective that humans are no different than the rest of nature. But Jesus shows us that the truth is that we all were created in God's image for a purpose. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image, in his ma- male and female in his image. It is this reality that helps us to understand that we are valuable. You know, we're, we're not just another, you know, dog. We're not just another deer. We're not just another animal in this world. We're not just another bird. We are made in God's image. Nothing else in creation is made in his image. It's just humanity. And because we're made in his image, that gives us value. We are the only ones who have free will. We're the only ones who can be moral beings, can make moral choices. Animals don't make moral choices. Animals don't, aren't able to have the relationships that we have. Animals are not going to be held accountable for their quote-unquote sin. It is only humanity is because we have been made in God's image. We are more valuable. We're even more valuable than the angels, Scripture teaches us. We have purpose. Jesus, in John chapter 14, 6, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, Jesus came, and and, and by his coming in a physical form, he elevated our physical world, saying, look, this this is valuable. That we can't just say that the, the body is bad. It is valuable. But there's a way that we need to live it out. You're meant for more than what you've been doing. That, that there's a way that we should seek to live. And Jesus showed us that way. He showed us that truth. He showed us the life that we're meant to live. In John 10.10, 10, he says that, we may, that he has come that we may have life and have it to the full. See, if we live this way and follow Jesus in the way that he lived, then we will have a more abundant life. Matter of fact, there's more for us to experience and to enjoy in this life. 
It's not just about the physical realm and what's happening around us. It's about what's happening in the spiritual realm and what God is doing in and through us. We can have an abundant life well beyond anything that this world has to offer. And then in John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never be hungry and never thirst. The reality is, is that all of this life, this, the truth is that this life that we desire to live is only, a, only capable if it's done in Christ. Jesus is the one who lived it out, and he's the one who will help us to live it out. The second truth that he reveals is this idea of the second birth, which points to the reality of the spiritual realm. We have a lie in our culture as well that says that this is all there is, that there is no more. What you see is what you get, that the physical, the tangible things of this world are the only things that there are in this world. That is what we should live for. The, the tangible jewels, the tangible treasures, these are the things that are important. These are the things that we should live our life for because there is nothing else. So we strive to, to gain power in this world. When the, when the gifts and the treasures of this world are the most important thing, those are the things that we're going to live for. Those are the things we're going to strive for. Those are the things that we're going to try to get more power from, to gain power, to gain influence. Those are the things that we'll desire most. But Jesus showed up, and when he, Jesus showed up, he brought the truth, and the truth is that there is a spiritual realm. A spirit realm that actually impacts the world as much as the physical realm does. That there is more to this life than just the physical. That a matter of fact that we can't just focus just here on what's going on physically. We also need to get our eyes on Jesus. We need to get our eyes on eternity and recognizing that there's more happening. There's more going on around us. This is why we are called to pray. I mean, prayer is a mysterious thing. You know, when is God going to, you know, answer in a way that we hope he will? And when won't he? I mean, how is that all going to work out? We don't understand how it works, but we do know this. He calls us to pray because prayer works because there's a spiritual realm that is happening around us all the time. It's, it's working and influencing things. This is how miracles come about. This is why we pray for healing. This is why we pray for you know, a God to do and work in, in, our, in our circumstances in our life and to bring healing in our relationship. This is how when we first come to Christ, we're able to defeat the old sins. It's not because of our strength. It's because of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives and resides within us and give us, gives us the strength. Some of us have, we've heard maybe supernatural stories of addicts who give their life to Christ and then are able to quit cold turkey, their drugs or their alcohol, and have no side effects from that. That is a God thing. That's a spiritual realm interacting with the physical realm, doing things that we don't understand. But just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. We need to recognize this is what Jesus is telling us. This is what Jesus revealed is that there is a spiritual realm that is happening and is active all around us and we need to tap into that as well. We need to not just be born physically. We've all been born physically, right? If you're in this room, you were born physically, right? Congratulations. I'm glad to have you here. Happy birthday. But we also need to be born spiritually. There's a second birth that we need to look for, and this is what comes when we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord. 
In John chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, and verses around that, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and they're talking about the salvation, and Jesus tells him that flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. We need to be born both physically, and we need to be born again spiritually. And it's this spiritual being born again that allows us to have that relationship with God our Father. God is spirit, right? If, if we are only physical without a spiritual reality, then we have no way to connect with God. But because we are able to be born spiritually as well, we can have this connection and able to have this relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. And again, this points to this reality that if we're going to understand and embrace and, and experience the spiritual realm, if we're going to be born of the Spirit as well, we only can do that in Christ. We don't get there on our own. We don't get there because of our effort and, and our working for it. It's something that comes as a gift from Christ. And next we see that Jesus reveals that death is defeated. See, we have a culture that still is believing that death reigns. That the death, death is in control. Now, all of us uh, seem to have this fear of death. Makes sense, right? We don't know what's after, if there is anything after, but our culture says there's nothing after. This is all there is. And so when death comes, that's it. And so we, have, uh, we, are, we are encouraged because of this belief in something that's not true, we are encouraged to put all our effort into trying to build our kingdom here. Trying to experience all we can here. Like this is the only uh, time we're going to get to experience this. I remember recently the Lord kind of brought me to the point in my striving for the things here. Because I, 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 I think about all the, I mean we have a huge world. Maybe this is you. Some people like to, my daughter, is, uh, she loves to travel and has really gotten into that. And, and I don't necessarily like to travel, but I like to see things, right? And so I look around the world and all the amazing things that we have in our world that we can go and see, right? And just the cities or just the natural phenomenon that we have, right? And, and so I, I, at times I was getting frustrated with like, ah, I want to see these things. I want to go there. I want to experience that in some way. But I know that it's, I'm probably never going to. I'm never going to be able to see those things. I'm never going to be able to get to all those different locations that I'd love to go and actually witness with my eyes, right? Because pictures never do it justice. There's different when you're standing there in front of it, right? Uh, and, and so, but God has revealed to me, he kind of said, wait a second, what are you doing? Are you, just, are you just looking for the things of this world? Don't you think that what you are going to see in eternity, for all of eternity, is going to be so much better? And if we believe that this creation that we have now is going to be restored and renewed, then all these places will still be there, and I got all eternity to go check them out. Right? But we have a world that is telling us, no, 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 you've got to get it now because this is your last chance. If you don't do it now, you're going to miss out. You've got to create this, uh, get this power. You've got to get these experiences now. We fight against death as, as much as we can. Plastic surgery is on the rise. Not that plastic surgery is morally wrong, but is it being motivated by a sense of trying to defeat death or if we're trying to avoid it at all costs? Or, or even legacies and, and trying to build up our 401ks so, so that they're big and strong so that we don't have to worry about the end of our life and all this guys, or we have something to pass on to our kids and this kind of thing. Legacy building is not a bad thing, but why are we doing it? Are we doing it because of our fear of death? If so, then we're believing the lie 
that death is the end. The truth is, and this is what Jesus reveals, is that we were made for eternity and we have hope for eternity because of what Jesus did. The fact that he came and that he gave his life and then he rose from the dead. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I think this is why our age, our, our minds don't age, right? I'm still 22, I think. How about you guys, right? I mean, I, it, you just, it, I, I think this is partly why our minds don't age, is because we're, we're created for eternity. We're always going to be, in a sense, 22, right? The amazing love of God has opened up the reality that death is, first of all, destroyed, and second of all, eternity is now open. We have an opportunity to spend all eternity like the way we've been, we were created with God. And probably the most important thing is that we can live without fear. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to worry about, you know, a sudden experience where maybe we're younger, we're not thinking about death yet because, you know, we're just young and we don't think about those things. And so we're, we don't have to worry about all of a sudden a, a car accident. We don't have to fear that because we know that there's more than this. That death is just a transition into the next eternal life, which is better. We don't have to worry when we get to that age where we begin, our bodies start to fall apart and we start to wonder. We don't have to fear now, I'm not saying, I mean, we're, we're always going to have that fear and anxiety that comes. I get that, and we have to process through that. But we don't have to be in dread. We don't have to worry about that next step. We know that we have eternity to look forward to, and it changes the way we live. This is why, this is why the, the, the disciples weren't afraid of martyrdom. Right? This is why they were willing to continue to profess Jesus, even though they were being persecuted and killed. Right? Because they knew there was something more. If, you, if they didn't think there was something more, they would have capitulated. They'd give in, right? No, nope. all right, you're right. I, nah, Jesus isn't real. This is all there is. I got nothing else. But because they knew they had eternity to look forward to, death wasn't the end. This is huge. This, is, this changes how we live our life. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 22, in Adam all die, but so in Christ all will be made alive. So once again, this points out that this resurrection that we long for and hope for isn't something that we can get on our own. It's not something that we earn. It's something that is offered in Christ. The truth is revealed in Christ, but then we also get to experience it in Christ. Christmas is filled, it seems, with miracles. Unlike the Hallmark movies, these are real miracles. The, bir the virgin birth, I, we can't explain that, right? I mean, that's just, it's a miracle. We don't get it. Last week, I talked about the incarnation. A mystery, a miracle. We don't get it. Perhaps the greatest miracle of all is salvation by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Salvation by grace through faith. Jesus didn't come to earth because we deserved for him to come to earth. He didn't come to earth because we earned it. And when he got here, he didn't go to the cross because, oh, now we proved how much we are really worth it. We don't earn salvation. It's not because of our greatness. It's also not because of our worthlessness. God loves us. Shows that we have value. His son came and died for us. Shows again that we have value, that he longs for that relationship. We receive this amazing gift through faith, which has three aspects to it. First of all, it's the believing and accepting that Jesus is who he said he was. We, we need to understand that. We need to understand who Jesus is and who he said he was. You know, this is, I said this last week, all heresies, it seems, come out of who Jesus is. This is, where, this is where all the Christian cults come from. This is where they get skewed, is always at Jesus. Who is Jesus? Salvation comes at this who is Jesus part. When we believe that Jesus is who he said he was and is, that's the first step of faith. The second step is then trusting. That we actually would trust, put our trust and our, and our hope in this Jesus. That, that we can't earn it even after we become saved. It's, it's not about us now living out our righteousness. It's not about us trying to earn now our, God's favor. That we trust that it's just in Jesus and him alone that we have salvation. And then finally, the final piece is then the action piece, that we would follow Jesus. That we would do what he says, that we would go wherever he leads. This is the living sacrifice of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that, that we would all be living sacrifices. We're following Jesus. He sacrificed himself. We are now living as a sacrifice to Jesus, to do whatever he says. Whenever he calls, we go. The Mexicali trip, if that's for you, if he's calling, he's pushing on you, you need to go because he's calling you there. You give up your comfort. You give up your life. You give it all up in order to follow him wherever he leads. Again, not to earn it, though. It's not so God will go, oh, finally, now you get it. Now we can really let you in. It's all because of his love. It's because he loved us first. It's because he will continue to love us no matter what we do. That it's because Jesus' is righteousness, not our righteousness. He is our hope. That goes back to the trusting. Who are we trusting in? Is it ourself and our own ability to follow him? Or is it in trusting Jesus and what he did? Finally, I want to get back to Christmas a little bit. Because <laughs> I think there's another lie that we're told by our culture about Christmas. You know, what is Christmas really all about? And, you know, Christian, Christianity and Christians have kind of railed against some of the, the, the consumerism and materialism of our, our culture right around Christmas, right? And all the gifts and all the advertisements and all that, you know, we're called to do. And this is what it is, a great Christmas. I mean, every commercial, right? It's the best Christmas ever is the, you know, the car with the big bow on it in the parking lot, right? I mean, in the driveway, right? It's whatever it may be, but there's always these, you know, pushes for this new and big thing. That's the best Christmas, now, that's, it's easy to kind of defeat, and for us as Christians, most of us feel like we kind of have gone past that. We recognize that it's more valuable. It's, it's, it, there's different values there that we should be celebrating. But I want to challenge us this morning, even in those Christian perspectives 
of why Christmas is worth celebrating. Things like family. We think that Christmas is about hanging out and being with family, and that's the reason that we celebrate. That to be able to have our family around us, to be close to them. Or maybe it's just about giving, the joy of being able to give to others that can't give back. Maybe it's about the big feast, and just the excitement and the fun that comes with a big feast. I was challenged actually by this, on this recently, by the Lord, as we come to our first Christmas of Debbie and I being married where we're not going to have any of our family around. And that's a good song, whatever it is. (laughs) Go, Brenda. (laughs) But we're coming up on this Christmas where for the first time we're not going to have any kids or family around. And uh, although, you know, we're, you know, it's part of this that, we, you know, we've been looking forward to it a long time. <laughs> uh, but there's also, there's a sense of loss in that. That, you know, because a big part of Christmas for us is that family dynamic and excited about being together. And so there's some sadness in that. But I, I, but I was challenged by the Lord and I was like, wait a second. I get that you enjoy being with family, but is that what is worth celebrating? Is that what really Christmas is about? You know, I've, I've heard some people and it's said often that Christmas is a hard time for them because they maybe lost a family member or there's just tensions of relationship. And, and I get that. I'm not saying we, we can't mourn it. I get why that would be more difficult around the holidays, but... But I guess I just feel like God's saying that we can't let those things affect the joy and the excitement and the celebration of Jesus being born. It's all about Jesus. And if your traditions aren't happening like you hoped they would this year, if you're not going to be getting together with family like you thought, if you're reminded of your family members and friends that you've lost in the past, that's fine. Allow yourself to mourn that, to embrace that and recognize, ah, I wish. But can we, can we just pledge to say, no, I'm not going to let that diminish how excited I am about the fact that Jesus showed up, that Jesus was here, that Jesus was among us, that Jesus is the reason for the season. It is worth celebrating, no matter what our situation is, no matter what kind of Christmas is for you this year, whether you're with all of the traditions or not, whether you're with all the family or not, whether it's easy for you because you've got lots of cash and you can give all those gifts away that you like, or if you have no money, you can't give any gifts to anybody. It doesn't matter because it's not about that. We're celebrating the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah. So as we step into this Christmas season just a few days away. It's Christmas Day. Let's mourn the loss of family. Let's let's be sad about the fact that maybe we're not going to enjoy the traditions that we always do if that's the case. But even if we have all those things, may we still make sure that Jesus is the center of all that we're celebrating. And may we ask that the Lord would give us that extra sense of joy for Christmas this year, no matter our situation that we would recognize how that has changed everything and will always be worth celebrating. All right, worship team, why don't you come on up?
And why don't the rest of you all just uh, go ahead and stand. We're going to sing a couple of songs together.